Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is Agree to Disagree with Mike Brazuda and Bob Labriola. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another should-be award-winning edition of Agree to Disagree, the podcast, the podcast with the motto, I'm right. He's wrong. He's Bob Labriola. I'm Mike Pursuta. It is Thanksgiving week, and we are anticipating celebrating on Thursday. I'll be doing that uh, the traditional way with turkey and all the fixings. Lab, you're probably having lasagna and spaghetti and meatballs and that kind of stuff, but uh, you know, to each his own. It's America, right? Disagree. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you going turkey? No, no. Let me let me just say this: um, there are only two holidays uh, on the Italian calendar that do not contain any pasta. Thanksgiving is one, and um, the other one. I just lost my train of thought. Wow. What the other one is. Oh, New Year's Day. New Year's Day. New Year's Day. Colorado. New Year's, New Year's Day is, you know, pork and sauerkraut and all that. And Thanksgiving is turkey and all the fixings. So, yes, there will be no, nothing, no red sauce because I don't count cranberry sauce as red sauce. No, no, way. no. I'm with you. I'll agree with you on that. I'm actually <laughs> okay. not a big cranberry guy, truth be told. I usually leave that alone. There's plenty of other good stuff. Uh, we got some good stuff for you this week. As per usual, before we go there, since it is Thanksgiving, I got to unload a little bit, vent a little bit. I, I can't get past every year at this time of year thinking about the worst Thanksgiving ever, ever which was, of course, 1983. And the reason it was, a little background, I was still in college, but I had been an intern that summer at the Beaver County Times. I'd worked uh, some days at Steelers Camp that summer. I was on my way to being a big-time sports writer. And because the Steelers were playing the Lions in Detroit, actually more specifically in Pontiac, Michigan, for the Thanksgiving Day game, I actually got to be one of the sidebar guys for the Times. They brought me aboard, got me a press pass and hotel room the night before the game. Here I am, I'm still in college, and I'm getting ready to cover an NFL game, and it's my team, the Steelers. And, uh, you know, I was still a pretty big Steelers fan at that point, but uh, prepared to go in and be a professional and watch the game like a pro and not cheer and do the job and all that. Well, as most people probably remember, the game ended up Lions 45, Steelers 3, and I did not enjoy 
a second of it, and I enjoyed even less my assignment, which was to go into the Detroit locker room and listen to Billy Sims and those guys crow about how they had just pounded the Steelers 45-3. to Then I got to write about it. Then I got to drive back to East Lansing, Michigan, which was, you know, a little less than an hour away. And this is the part of the part of the equation I did not factor in initially when I got so excited about going to this game. By going to this game, that meant I didn't go home for the holiday. So I got to go back to East Lansing and find a restaurant and eat a Thanksgiving dinner by myself, still stewing over Lions 45, Steelers 3. Now remember, Labs, this is a Steelers team. Franco Harris was still on this team. Mike Webster, Larry Brown, Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt, Donnie Schell, how did this happen? They lost to Eric Hipple. It got so bad, your buddy Gary Danielson, that guy you love to watch broadcast SEC games on Saturdays, he even got in the mop-up at the end, and he threw a touchdown pass. Labs, this was awful. I still have nightmares. Disagree. The worst Thanksgiving ever, November 26, 1998. Now, um, for all the listeners out there, the Grinch has gone down in folklore as having stolen Christmas. But in my mind, Phil Luckett is the zebra who stole Thanksgiving. <laughs> November 26, 1998. Is that a Disney seven... movie? <laughs> Eddie Murphy doing the voiceover. No, no, yeah. you didn't call that. They get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the Steelers 7-4 and four going to Detroit um, to play the Lions. And... You know, I wasn't in college or anything. I was still somewhat immature, apparently, because we got to um, we got to Detroit the the previous day, Wednesday, Wednesday the day before, uh, on the team charter, and there was a Steeler fan who lived uh, very close to the, in the area, who was you know in touch with me fairly regularly, and he came up with a brilliant idea. Let's cross the bridge and go to Windsor. So we cross the bridge and go to Windsor. A car full of people. One of them, luckily, was uh, a friend, a relative of his, uh, who was a non-drinker. So we cross the bridge. We go into Canada. Um, it was easy to do then. You know, it was before 9/11 and everything. So you just drove right over. Uh, I don't even believe that they looked at driver's licenses crossing the. Uh, the border. And uh, I also remember that the exchange rate at the time was spectacular. I think you got like $135 of that uh, red and green funny money that they have, red and blue funny money that they had up there with pictures of Queen Elizabeth on it. Um, the coins have loons on them still. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it was a very festive um festive evening the night before thanksgiving now what like you forgot to um take into account the fact that you uh did not go home for thanksgiving uh that uh 1983 when you covered that steeler game well what i failed to um take into consideration was that uh, uh steeler games in 1998 me and jerry dulac were on the air four hours before kickoff Okay, four hours before kickoff, which was 12.30 Eastern time, 11.30 Central time, was 7.30 where we actually were. So 
uh, it was quite an early morning. Um, I think it was like a six Advil morning, maybe, <laughs> and did the radio, and then the game started. Ugh, the game. Each team scored one touchdown, seven combined field goals. Neither team managed even 300 yards of offense. Um, the Steelers had a first and 10 at the Detroit 16 with 106 left in the fourth quarter, but Bill Cowher played for the field goal. So um, um, Norm Johnson kicks a 25-yard field goal to send the game into overtime. I looked this up today in advance of this, the worst Thanksgiving ever. The NFL play-by-play from that game that is on profootballreference.com has this line in it at the start of overtime. Steelers won the coin toss, Lions to receive the overtime kickoff. Thank you, Phil Luckett. (laughs) So it's overtime. Charlie Batch who was uh, not nearly as much my friend then as he is now, started um, the line. He was Lions quarterback that day. 28-yard pass to Herman Moore. But third and 11 from the Steelers' 38-yard line, Batch gets sacked by Chris Oldham and Darren Perry, 10-yard loss. Somebody called Chris Oldham for a face mask penalty for 15 yards. Can you tell me who that is? Let me guess. Uh, Phil Luckett. (laughs) Jason Hansen kicks a 42-yard field goal, and my headache was back. So that is, in fact, the worst Thanksgiving ever. So I guess we can both be thankful the Steelers are not playing on Thanksgiving this week. We can agree on and, that. And Phil Lockett is no lo- Phil Luckett, excuse me, is no longer an NFL referee. Thankful. We are thankful for both. For both of those things. Thankful for that as well. Let's see if we agree on uh, what's on the menu today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Uh, kicking it off, Labs, the pre-Thanksgiving edition of Agree to Disagree. After further review and after waffling about this topic on, you know, whether the defense is dominant, I've waffled on that more than a manager of a Waffle House, but I have finally reached a final and absolute conclusion. It is not uh, I'm going to have to agree, uh, in a, and as a famous ex-Steelers uh, coach always used to say, that is an accurate statement, certainly based on what the Steelers' defense is now. Um, you know, 37 points on Sunday to an offense without Jamar Chase for the whole game. Uh, that offense was without Joe Mixon for at least a whole half. Uh, two 90-plus yard touchdown drives. Um, the defense is, is not creating enough havoc to deserve to be called dominant. Now, I do believe when the season started in the opener, the Steelers' defense was dominant. Was the difference in that uh, win against the Bengals, seven sacks, five takeaways, one defensive touchdown. Uh, but it hasn't been dominant since. Uh, T.J. Watt's injury, uh, Minka, Fitz, Minka Fitzpatrick's injury, 
uh, are factors, but um, you know, I, I kind of think that the whole concept of the Steelers having a dominant defense and Mike Tomlin bringing that up uh, during the summer, um, it was kind of constructed on a house of cards. You know, you really, there were too many people, players, that had to be significant players throughout a whole season without a lot of depth behind them um, for it to, you know, weather the kind of uh, attrition that usually accompanies a team throughout an NFL season. So, you know, the Steelers haven't had that injury luck. Um, and let me just say this. Uh, Joe Burrow, I'm a big Joe Burrow fan. Me too. And this this could be a, a subsequent topic uh, for an asked and answered, but if uh, you tell me uh, to rank the AFC quarterbacks, I'll give you Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and then Joe Burrow because he has changed the culture in Cincinnati. Justin Herbert has not changed <clears throat> the Chargers' culture. So a combination of uh, the Steelers ran into a really good uh, quarterback last Sunday and the fact that uh, their defense, I don't believe, can be called dominant. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on all of that. And really, we saw the dominance for openers in Cincinnati, but I think in retrospect, you got to factor in that the Bengals hadn't played their offensive line all preseason. Burrow hadn't played all preseason. Uh, then we saw what we saw throughout the year, the ups and downs of the unit. Uh, T.J. Watt comes back, and they dominate the Saints. Okay, it was just the health of the reigning NFL Defensive Player of the Year that was holding them back. When that guy plays, they are dominant. But last Sunday, really revealing to me, and it betrayed the flaws of the unit. You had Minka Fitzpatrick back. You had Watt. Uh, for the first time in the season, you had Watt Fitzpatrick and DeMonte Casey. I'm thinking, okay, they got their pieces in place. I don't know if they're going to score a whole lot of points, but they're going to keep these guys, the Bengals' offense, under control. They did not, and uh, I think what was revealed was uh, a lack of uh, an inside linebacker that can cover a flat pass to a running back and the corner problem, which has been there all along. The Steelers showed us what they think of their corners when they traded for William Jackson the third. Apparently I wasn't paying enough attention to that, but uh, they got some work to do to be the dominant defense that they aspire to be a uh, long way from that right about now topic number two at three and seven it's time to take another look at Kendrick Green and James Pierre and a longer look at Isaiah Loudermilk Labs um yeah I'm gonna uh I'm gonna agree with that uh, but I'm gonna approach it from you know as I like to do with a lot of these I'm gonna approach it from the other direction um I want to see uh, more of Isaiah Loudermilk because I can do with less playing time for Chris Wormley, who had 26 snaps on Sunday. Tyson Aluoglu, 14 snaps. I don't. I just don't think Aluoglu is, um, you know, what he was even before last year's injury. Uh, he's getting on in age. Uh, the interior, of the defensive line is, you know, is usually a place for young, healthy people, and um, I just, I just don't know. <clears throat> what he has left. And, um, you know, I thought Loudermilk, you know, you and I talked about this uh, even at the towards the end of last season that I thought that he would turn it into a guy who went from um, project, hopeful, maybe this guy can turn into something when they drafted him to a kind of a key guy in their defensive line rotation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing more 
uh, of Isaiah Loudermilk, or if, you know, look at it the other way, less of Chris Wormley and Tyson Alualu. Um, you know, the James Pierre cornerback situation, uh, I don't know it's so much I want to see more of James Pierre, but he, Levi Wallace and Arthur Millette are just so inconsistent. I mean, you mentioned how uh, watching the Bengals game, uh, you, the Steelers need an inside linebacker who can cover. I think they need a more consistent nickel corner because it seemed to me that Burrow was targeting uh, whoever Millette was covering uh, or maybe that's just the way the plays were designed or whatever. But it seemed to me that Wallace and Millette, I thought, were both uh, big parts of the win against the Saints. Um, but I don't think either one of them played particularly well uh, last Sunday against the Bengals. So maybe it's more Cam Sutton at nickel if you want to go with Pierre. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's where I would be going, yeah, and I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean – Against the really good passing attacks, they haven't held up, right? And there's a lot of no. There's they nu- have not. there's nuance to that, but part of that nuance is covering people who can cover. So yeah, I want to see. You know, James Pierre's star was on the rise, and then Jamar Chase blew that up a couple of seasons ago. But he's played some decent ball this year. Uh, let's see what he can do the rest of the way because we've seen uh, what can be done doing it the way they're doing it. Uh, Loudermook, I think, should get snaps uh, at Alu Alu's expense. I'm not down on Wormley, but, you know, the younger, healthier guys populating the D-line is a spot on point. And I, I got to see some more Kendrick Green. I would do that at the expense of Kevin Dotson just because this guy was a third-round pick last year and he started a bunch of games at center. And then it was a lot of talk that, oh, he would be better suited to play guard, which was his predominant position in college. Ben Roethlisberger among those who said last year that he thought Green could be a great guard if they move him there. Um, you know, it's not as if this offense, this offensive line is playing okay. It's better than it was given credit for being at the start of the year, and it hasn't been a huge problem. But what do you do with Kendrick Green? Is this guy just already given up upon, or can they find a spot for a third-round pick and make him a viable part of the team, I'd like to see him get some playing time. Um, you know, there's three... a suggestion for. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say they're three and seven. Um, yeah, what they've done to this point has not worked. You know, at a lot of positions. You know, back in the seventies, uh, the Steelers alternated offensive linemen by quarters. You know, Mike Webster uh, was an alternate with Ray Mansfield until I don't know. I think it was seventy-seven before he became a full-time starter. So, you know, maybe you alternate Kendrick Green. You, you can alternate guards, you know, every yeah. – uh, the Steelers the Steelers did that at both center and guard, you know, in the 70s. And through maybe, you know, a Super Bowl season or two, they were doing that. Um, maybe that's how you work Kendrick Green in a little bit. I don't know that, um, you know, uh, Kevin Dotson has played poorly enough that you yank him. But, uh, you know, again, I don't think he's played well enough that he's an untouchable either. So, I mean, I would, you know, maybe think about that a little bit as a way to see in a little bit more Kendrick Green. And I'm not suggesting any of this stuff that, okay, just do this and they'll go on a seven-game winning streak the rest of the way. Uh, but, again, three and seven through ten, uh, something is amiss. Last but not least, I saved the best for last, Lab, like that turkey sandwich at about uh, 10.30 at night on Thanksgiving. There should be one NFL game played on Thanksgiving, and despite the horrors of 1983 and 
whatever year that Phil Luckett year was. Uh, 1998. Yeah. It should be one game on Thanksgiving. It should be played in Detroit. Well, uh, I'm going to chant a little Beano Cook here. Haven't we suffered enough? Uh, I disagree. Uh, now, I will give the Lions this. I'm not I'm not um, in favor of uh, taking this the this slot away from them because you know the whole thanks Thanksgiving Day NFL tradition started in 1934 and it started with the Lions. The Lions hosted the Bears at the University of Detroit Stadium in 1934 because their owner uh, George Richards at the time was a local radio guy, and you know about radio guys. I mean, they're always looking for ways to make money, and uh, so they. Uh, um, did this as a way to maybe think that they could improve some ticket sales, help the Lions get more attention. They were the only game on, uh, the only NFL game played. Excuse me, they weren't on. Um, and the the um, first one in 1934 actually sold out 26,000 fans at University of Detroit Stadium. So, you know, the Lions were willing to take a chance. Uh, it was It turned out to be a great tradition. And they did it at a time when it really wasn't that popular through some tough times for the league and all that stuff. So um, the Lions, to me, I'm a big big proponent of, you know, paying homage to history and tradition, and that's the Lions. Now, the Cowboys, on the other hand, you know, they're carpetbaggers. Yes, they They are. They jumped in in 1966 because it was an advantage uh, because they got to play at home. So that's a tough thing for a, a team to have to travel on a short week. You know, we've seen this in Thursday night football. The road teams often have problems um, in, uh, playing on a short week. And then the Cowboys would get a 10-day break going into December, which is often a critical month uh, in the NFL. So uh, I would I would d- do away with Dallas uh, being the lock home team for that second slot on Thanksgiving day. And I would have, um, you know, I tell the NFL like they do, you know, schedule a good game um, for that time slot, the afternoon time slot on Thanksgiving day and rotate it around. I don't think that any team should have a lock on that uh, because again, I think it's an advantageous situation. You uh, have an advantage in the Thanksgiving day game because you're forcing the other team to travel. And then you get the 10-day break going into December. Now, I also, I'd kill the night matchup, okay? I got to work on Friday, and this is a selfish thing. So I can't stay up. So I don't want, you know, I don't want to miss anything. I got some FOMO, and I don't want to miss anything. So you kill the third game. You have two games on Thanksgiving. The second game, you rotate around. You, you build it as a matchup. For example, you're looking at the schedule for this coming weekend. New England, Minnesota, to me, would be a good second game on Thanksgiving Day. So you have the Lions um, opening, as they always do. The second game is something that, you know, uh, Roger Goodell and the networks uh, concoct, concoct when um, they, the, the schedule comes out. No night game because I'm tired and Chris Collinsworth wants to put me to sleep anyway so that's the new tv schedule yeah i'm not a big fan of thursday night football in general but i realize uh you know the money making element of it is going to uh rule the day and they're not going to 
get rid of Thursday football, but I could do with one, and I could do with those Lions. Uh, you know, I've spent a little time in the great state of Michigan over the years, and I think that game does mean a lot to a lot of people uh, there. But uh, I'm glad we're not playing it, Labs. <laughs> glad we're not there. Okay, one one quick thing. This is a uh, just a one-liner. You have to take one traditional Thanksgiving dish off the table forever. Cranberry sauce. That, agree. Does that count or is that just agree. a condiment? No, no, that's agree. I agree with you. How about that? If you, if you want to make me go more hardcore, ham. Oh, there is no ham. No ham? Sorry. We we tend to have ham creeping in. No, the the turkey is enough. More than enough. From one turkey to another, <laughs> or, or should I say from one turkey and another, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Thanks for finding us uh, wherever and however you found us. We'll be doing this again next week, and we'll be a little bleary-eyed because we'll be uh, hopping off the plane from uh, the Monday night game in Indianapolis. Until then, for Bob Labriola, I'm Mike Pursuta. This has been Agree to Disagree, the podcast with the motto, I'm right. He's wrong. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.